It's the mid-1850s. On board the massive U.S. whaling fleet work some 13,000 people, supported by many thousands more on land, in what is the fifth largest sector of the American economy, whale oil, for illuminating the world's cities, the first power industry. In just a few short decades, it would all collapse. Disrupted by technological advances in kerosene and the electric light bulb, and by global economic forces. What happened to those thousands of whaling industry workers is not well documented. It's one of the great historic upheavals in the energy sector. And it's interesting to reflect upon as history repeats itself and we find ourselves on the verge of the next great disruption. Welcome to another edition of the Stop Ecocide Canada podcast series, where we learn more about protecting the future of life on Earth. Mass damage and destruction of nature is called ecocide. In most of the world, it's legally permitted. This can't go on. It's time to change the rules. It's time to make ecocide an international crime. Stop ecocide, change the law, protect the Earth. If Canada wants to uh, be a leader in the net zero economy, it can be because we have this really strong workforce that is prepared and ready to start building that net zero economy. That's Luisa Da Silva, the executive director of Iron and Earth, a worker-led organization empowering fossil fuel and indigenous workers to build and implement climate solutions. I'm Eric Aris, your host for today's podcast, Energy and Ecocide, Tooling a Just Transition. Luisa, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to Iron and Earth and maybe a bit about the organization itself? So my background began uh, with me studying uh, geology in university and heading out to the oil patch in Alberta as my very first uh, geologist job. And I got to meet uh, all kinds of workers from right across Canada, uh, from the East Coast to the North, um, everybody coming to work in, in one uh, energy sector. I, I did that for a couple of years, and then I moved on, and I worked in mining and exploration all around the globe. And after doing that for a few years, I really wanted to move into the sustainability uh, sector. But I found it quite difficult to transition from the uh, industry that I had been working in to something which at the time was seen as so vastly different. When I learned about Iron and Earth and they were looking for people that, you know, have a fossil fuel background, have worked in education, have a conservancy, want to be in sustainability, want to be supporting people to transition to the net zero economy, I thought, this, this has my name written all over it. This is exactly what I want to be doing to, to join the organization. And I'm very fortunate to, to be leading it now. The organization really strives to empower fossil fuel industry and indigenous workers to create and implement climate solutions. And the way that we do that is by starting with our national chapters. We reach out to people within communities that maybe are fossil fuel workers or have families that are fossil fuel workers or friends or are indigenous, and to really bring everybody together to have the conversations and to talk about, you know, 
what is it that they want to be seeing? How can they be moving towards a just transition? What's important to them? You know, what makes them nervous? So those conversations really help us to enable our work. Let's dive into this idea of disruption and transition. Energy economist Peter Tertzakian has said that industry disruption has three phases. The disruption itself, then denial, then acceptance and transition. He says Alberta is definitely in the transition phase. Madam Speaker, I'm a member of Parliament from Alberta, a province that has experienced great upheaval over the last few years. Oil prices have dropped, thousands are out of work. Every day I hear from families who are struggling to get by. We understand that transitioning to a green economy is in the best interest of our planet, and Alberta can play a big role in that transition. More than 17,000 Albertans already work for energy companies that have committed to net zero by 2050. That's Alberta Conservative MP Matt Genero speaking on the floor of Parliament earlier this year about the disruption facing the Alberta energy sector. The disruption is in our faces. That's Donna Grace Campbell, co-founder of Stop Ecocide Canada, part of a global campaign making ecocide an international crime. And I'm talking about the disruption of the environment and the climate. My home province of BC currently is sitting in one of the largest flood events it's ever seen. There have been hundreds of thousands of people without power, dozens of thousands of people displaced, massive infrastructure problems. In fact, there's one um, major artery of transportation that won't be uh, fixed for months to come. So what we see here, and, and we're not even where I live, is we're not even in that area, but shelves are bare because of the um, disruption in transportation. So this is on the heels just five months ago. Here in BC, we had this massive heat dome. We saw uh, temperatures upward of 50 degrees Celsius. That's hotter than Phoenix or Las Vegas has ever experienced. Those temperatures lasted for four, about four days. And in that time, at the end of that, the town of Lytton just erupted into flames, burnt to the ground. So disruption is happening, and it's happening all across Canada. The prairies, all the fires that are happening there, the eastern seaboard with the hurricanes and the floods. So we're in the midst of disruption. To help workers deal with the disruption, Iron and Earth has developed the Prosperous Transition Plan. Luisa De Silva. The Prosperous Transition Plan, it really relies on uh, four pillars that we see as being important to the country uh, transitioning to net zero. And, and it very much is like a blueprint for the federal government to be able to follow to implement and move towards net zero. The, one of the pillars is uh, nature-based solutions. Nature-based solutions are climate solutions that are inspired and supported by nature which are cost-effective, simultaneously provide environmental, social, and economic benefits, and help build resilience. Looking at it from an indigenous lens and ensuring that whatever is, you know, done within that realm is, is keeping in mind, you know, who, in, in whose best interest is it to do these things with the land. Because sometimes, for example, indigenous communities want nothing to be done, and that's okay too. The other three pillars are more about how to transition uh, existing uh, industries. So we look at it as repurposing existing uh, infrastructure. If, if you're familiar with Alberta, there's about 170,000 abandoned or orphaned drill wells. Whoa, 
170,000 orphaned wells? These are abandoned oil and gas drill wells that now have no legal or financial owner, usually due to bankruptcy, creating an enormous public financial and environmental liability. The estimated cost to Canadian taxpayers? About $100 billion. Iron and Earth has a better idea. We have our Renew Well project uh, that we're working with in Tabor, Alberta. This land is disturbed land. You can't really use it for anything else. The founders of Renew Well are doing it. They're going in there and they're repurposing this land from the fossil fuels towards solar panels. So they're creating solar farms on this land. And in that way, it leaves agricultural land for agricultural purposes and this disturbed land can be creating uh, solar panels. The Renew Well project turns liabilities into assets by converting orphan well sites into renewable energy sites using existing infrastructure and worker know-how. Renew Well's pilot project is converting two abandoned sites near Tabor, Alberta into two megawatts of solar generation, enough to power about 2,000 homes. We also suggest pivoting organizations. So, for example, if they're currently free supplier to the fossil fuel industry, pivoting what towards manufacturing uh, elements for the net zero uh, economy. The term net zero means our economy either emits no greenhouse gas emissions or offsets its emissions. Canada has committed to being net zero by 2050. And the, the last one is actually the buildings themselves, retrofitting, so that the buildings can actually be cleaner and either producing zero emissions or, or negative emissions. Through these four pillars, we believe that the entire country can be transitioned over to net zero, and it really is going to be dependent upon the government, or the federal government we're talking about here, to create a green strings and incentives for business. In order to move into the net zero space, we need to create those incentives for the companies to be able to move into that space. Once you've got enough uh, people in that space, it's going to create that critical mass where then, you know, you'll get a flood of more people moving into the net zero space. You'll get the job creation. And I just see it as being a snowballing effect. But we need to have that initial stimulus to get the first mavericks and entrepreneurs to be really moving into that space. How do we incentivize the critical shift that's needed how do we motivate governments and industry to take the vital action to operate within safe parameters? At this point, we're only crawling in the direction we should be sprinting in. I mean, one option would be fossil fuel subsidies. The G20 countries spend about $452 billion U.S. each year to prop up the oil and gas and coal industries, and only about $121 billion globally for renewals. An international criminal law of ecocide can provide the guardrails for safe operations and can act as one of the significant incentives because when you have clear parameters for operation, it allows for incredible growth in creativity driven by those parameters. An international law would provide the global framework for the legal protection of nature. Here's an example. Wendy Franks, who works with Northland Power, which is a publicly traded Canadian energy company, said, the more we have policy and regulatory frameworks, the cheaper it is to decarbonize. Corporations and companies are dealing with instability around cost of carbon, around climate change targets, around tax regimes. Instability equals expense. And here's another really interesting example from 
IMF, or the International Monetary Fund Assistant Director, Ralph Chami. He says that the current way that we value nature is exactly zero dollars. And this paradigm assumes that nature is endless and limitless. This is why we kill and pollute with impunity. A new economic paradigm that has nature at its core is not only preferable, but it's also feasible. It is the paradigm that will sustain us with shared prosperity. And of course, finance is always really important. And just a few weeks ago, the International Corporate Governance Network, worth over $59 trillion, in their official statement to the president of COP26, urged governments to mandate regulations and collaborate internationally to criminalize ecocide. This is a powerful sign of how much a new parameter is needed. Even some of the world's largest oil corporations agree. Here's Royal Dutch Shell CEO Ben Van Burden speaking recently before COP26. At this point in time, uh, we have gone back into wind. We gave up wind 15 years ago, which was a strategic mistake. But we're back into it, and we're bidding on wind farms, we're winning tenders, we're constructing them, and right now we are operating them. It's the fastest growing business in Shell. And what about the big players in Alberta? Are they following Shell's lead? Louisa. One of the most promising things that I see is that we do get funding uh, at Iron Earth directly from some of the major players. So I take that as a positive signal that they are looking to see how it is that they can diversify their solutions into the net zero economy. Um, I do think that there will always be a place in our world for um, materials that come from fossil fuels. I mean, I don't think it needs to be the primary source of our energy. That just doesn't make sense. Right? We're, we're dealing with uh, a technology that is going back to like the Victorian era. We can certainly move on with all the technology that we have to come up with something different, can't we? The consultancy firm Reistad Energy recently forecast a boom for large-scale renewable projects in Alberta, even projecting that by 2025, Alberta would lead all provinces in wind and solar capacity. I asked Louisa if she thought from her perspective on the ground, if that was realistic. If things play out right, I think that that could happen. So I speak with um, companies that are solar installers or wind installers on a very regular basis. And what I'm hearing from all of them is that they are desperate for workers. They cannot get the skilled workers that they need, but they have the demands for the installation of, you know, the, the electrical components, whatnot, which is, where our renewable skills initiatives really drives forward because that is what we deliver um, in our training programs. Alberta is, is poised. Alberta is rich in the natural resources needed to drive renewables. Southern Alberta is one of the sunniest locations in Canada and has also been rated as an ideal region for wind power. It's also rich with workers looking to transition from oil and gas. Given that right now I believe solar is the lowest cost energy source and also given, you know, how many uh, communities can benefit from this that are slightly remote. So, yes, I I do think that Alberta is definitely poised to be a leader um, in Canada in the renewable energy sector. It it has all the natural resources to, to make that happen. I think that there's the need, there's communities that need the energy to come there that perhaps aren't on the grid or are being um, diesel dependence, right? 
So we get them off their diesel dependence. We bring in um, low-cost energy solutions, which right now is, is by and large the solar energy. Are you hopeful for a prosperous future for oil and gas workers? I am, absolutely. Um, oil and gas workers have a variety of skills, a wealth of skills, right? If you look at the solutions that are in the net zero economy, they're not that much different from the base skills that workers coming out of the fossil fuels will have. Um, if you look at what's required for a wind turbine, it's the same welding skills that you would need to be uh, building you know, pipelines in, in the fossil fuel industry. Um, if you're looking at geothermal, this is the same drilling skills that you need to be able to drill uh, in oil and gas. Many, many transferable skills. So this is one of the things that we try and address is really helping them with that translation to find the pathways. In the summer of 2021, Iron and Earth commissioned an abacus data poll with hundreds of Canadian fossil fuel workers. The results were eye-opening. The vast majority of workers, it was over 80% of workers, want Canada to transition into the net zero economy. Overwhelmingly, the results were very positive and it supported what we have been saying for the past five years is that workers are supportive, they want Canada to move into a net zero economy and they want to be addressing climate change. Like the disruption of the whaling industry 150 years ago, today's upheaval in the oil and gas sector is fueled by new technologies and global economics. Unlike that disruption, though, ours is also being caused, perhaps most significantly, by a planetary ecological imperative, the need to halt mass damage and destruction of the environment. An international crime of ecocide would form the backbone of that imperative, helping guide the just and prosperous transition that groups like Iron and Earth are working so hard to bring about. I just want to reach out to any energy worker that's out there listening and just to say, you know, reach out to Iron and Earth. Uh, We want to support you and we want to support you in making your transition to net zero. There's plenty of people out there that are just like you. You know, they see the writing on the wall. They see that um, the way that things have been just, it just can't continue uh, along this path, either for, you know, financial reasons or for climate change reasons. However it is that you're arriving at this, at this decision, at this juncture in your life and seeing, you know, the, the change to net zero really is inevitable. Reach out to us. We've, we would love to hear from you. We end today's discussion with words from climate scientist and politician, Dr. Andrew Weaver. It does not advance public policy if you essentially say, we need to shut down the oil sands. Because if you say that without coupling that with policy options for just transitions to assist people, retrain to ensure that people have bread on the table, all you do is you polarize society. You've been listening to Energy Ecocide and Tooling the Just Transition, a Stop Ecocide Canada podcast. I would like to thank my guests today, Luisa De Silva of Iron and Earth and Donna Grace Campbell of Stop Ecocide Canada. Our production technician is Dave Ronald. This episode, partially funded by the Ron and Joe Foundation. I'm Eric Harris. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to an episode of 
Stop ecocide. Change the law. Change the world. This series is executive produced by Donna Grace Campbell for Stop Ecocide Canada with music courtesy of Kaylee Watts. For more information, find us online at stopecocide.ca. Thanks so much for listening.